you know, for the longest time, I thought the worst thing that would ever happen to me was to be an alcoholic. And then the worst thing I thought would be to have to go to AA. And now I realized the best thing that has ever happened to me was to be an alcoholic and to end up in AA. And we just have to remove our judgment of things. You know, sometimes I think what is the worst probably going to turn out to be the best, you know, so I've just got to be open, which I wasn't, which kept me drunk because this is a great program, man. I I heard it through the grapevine. Welcome. It's the AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour, featuring the collected voices of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm Don, an alcoholic in Greensboro, North Carolina. Hey, Don. Hey, everybody. I'm Sam, an alcoholic in Palm Springs, California. Hiya, Sam. I was talking about Tradition 5 at a meeting last week. What's that that tradition, Don? Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the alcoholic who still suffers. I was mouthing it along with you. (laughs) (laughs) I had to look it up real quick. I didn't want to mess it up. I needed to read it. (laughs) (laughs) And after the meeting, you know, I gave bullet points of uh, my take on the tradition. And then we had a discussion afterwards. And as I was looking around the room, there's only about six people there. Everybody looked like they had been involved in service and Oh, a haggard look. They were the haggard out. AA look, you know, they all <laughs> look like old cups of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was, I started to describe the difference between a group and a meeting. I was riding home with one of the guys afterwards and said, you know, I, I didn't do that. I didn't go into that because I figured everybody knew. And he said, well, what is the difference between a group and a meeting? And I realized I probably should have. So I'm going to throw it to you. It's a point of discussion because, you know, I didn't know at the beginning, some of these, the AA meetings, they weren't groups. Hmm. Well, I will share with you my understanding of it then. Mm -hmm. Um, In short, a group should be, ought to be, typically is registered with AA World Services with the General Service Office. So they've got a group number and they are known within the general service structure. That gives that group a voice within the general service structure of Alcoholics Anonymous by having a general service rep or a GSR who attends district and area meetings or assemblies and things like that and represents their group. So they're connected. Yeah, they're connected. Whereas I go to a couple of meetings here in Palm Springs that are held in someone's home. That is not a registered group of Alcoholics Anonymous. It is a meeting that has been going on for 30 years, but it's not a group. A simple difference between a meeting and a group is that a group continues to exist when the meeting is not happening. So the meeting lasts for an hour once a week, but a group continues to exist as an entity. uh, And that could be that they have service positions, that they participate in district committees of perhaps accessibilities or uh, special events or corrections or reaching out in all kinds of ways to carry the message of Alcoholics Anonymous besides just the meeting itself. Yeah. And there are some groups that don't do all that. And Mm -hmm. they're still a group. They have Mm -hmm. registered as a group. And that's okay, too. Yep. Well, the long form of Tradition 5 is each Alcoholics Anonymous group ought to be a spiritual entity 
having but one primary purpose, that of carrying the message to the alcoholic who still suffers. The only difference between the long form and the short form is they dropped, ought to be a spiritual entity. But I really like that because I struggled with the word God in AA, used higher power all the time. But one of the ways that got me into using the word God was group of drunks. I was told I could make the meeting itself my higher power. And that's the group. And the so the group is a spiritual entity. And when we take a group conscience, we, you know, we're trying to follow the directions of our higher power as a group to see how we can be of best service to help the still suffering alcoholic. So the group is important when I'm a member of it. I'm not just doing this for myself. It's a we program, and it can't be a we program if I'm not connected to the other people in Alcoholics Anonymous. I agree. I remember we talked with someone a while ago who was a delegate for Area 51. He talked about a group being a brain sale, a brain sale. (laughs) The Southern just came out. It's a brain sale. (laughs) A brain sale. And if it's not connected, there's not as much that it can do. Whereas when you get a bunch of brain cells connected, then you get a brain and a whole lot more can happen. And I thought that was a really cool analogy. Yeah. And you know, it would be great if I only had a brain. (laughs) I'm leaving that one alone. (laughs) Okay, Sam, what we got going on today? Well, today we're having coffee with Scott and later he'll be answering a question from Corinne, a listener who called in a question. You can call in a question uh, or a recovery-related joke at 212-870-3418, and you can get that information at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to this. Let's get to know Scott a bit. Grapevine does not accept donations, but you can offer your support by making a purchase at store.aagrapevine.org or by the Carry the Message gift certificates to sponsor Grapevine subscriptions for alcoholics in need. That's store.aagrapevine.org. Order a copy of the new book, Fun in Sobriety, and join us August 22nd for a group discussion. Participate by calling 212-870-3418 with your reflections on fun and sobriety, and we may play it on the show. That's 212-870-3418. Hey guys, Scott, alcoholic. I live here in Carterville, Georgia. That's my southern draw, originally from Detroit, though. <laughs> okay, originally you have a brain sale. <laughs> yes, uh, I attend the Happy Hour Sir Club uh, Monday through Thursday, 6 p.m. I love that. I have a service position. I chair on Wednesdays. Also, I have been the treasurer of that group. And my virtual home group is ZoomAAMeetings.com, 9 p.m. every single night, Eastern Time, the fourth dimension. Saved my life, honestly, in 2020. Glad to be here, guys. Thanks so much. Glad to meet you, Scott. Thanks for joining us. I did want to just check in on that Southern drawl there. Now, is that something that you picked up pretty quickly moving from Detroit or, or did, you know, after I got tired of people telling me what to do when I was in high school. So I joined the Marine Corps and then uh, I left Detroit and traveled all over the world, stationed in Hawaii, been to 
five different continents at that time with the Marine Corps, just a beautiful opportunity. So I never went back to Detroit, went to school in Alabama and Arkansas, and that's where I picked it up now in Georgia. So <laughs> I love it here. It's a great, great group of people. This is home for me now. So thank you. Yep. Gotcha. Scott, it sounds like you're involved with the groups and participating with groups and doing service work. What's your idea about? My gosh, you know, my, my first sponsor and current sponsor, they just really instilled in me the, the importance of service work, but serving others, getting off of my own ego, getting out of my head and just helping other people. One of my favorite sentences is our very lives as ex-problem drinkers depends upon our constant thought of others and how we may help meet their needs. Page 20 of the big book. And my sponsors helped me to live that. And I currently live that when I'm with my sponsors, service work is a key to my sobriety. If I'm not doing service work, I'm likely to go out and drink again. So I just stay doing service work, stay doing, and I encourage my sponsees, they have to do the same thing. Otherwise they're going to have to find a new sponsor. So Scott, what was happening with you inside when you decided to completely give up and get help getting sober? (laughs) No, that's a good question. I, you know, I danced around the, the rooms for a lot of uh, years. First A meeting was, I think, 2011. Second A meeting was 2015. I just would not surrender. I remember I was in a meeting one time, a guy named Patrick said, it wasn't that I couldn't surrender, it's that I wouldn't surrender. Man, he looked right at me. He looked, I swear, he just read my soul. Willingness. Yeah, another fellow said, you know, and I asked, I said, how do you guys quit drinking? He just said, rarely have we seen a person who's thoroughly followed our path, you know, from the big book. And I was drowning. I was dying. I was dying. You know, you'd wake up every day saying, I'm not drinking a day, not drinking a day, not drinking a day. And then, you know, by 12, one, two o'clock, you're squirreling and you're thinking, what liquor store are you going to go to? So I was just broken. I was broken. Um, you know, I was a blackout drunk for a couple of years. Marriage was just about over. Kids pretty much uh, despised me. They still loved me, but they were very angry at me. So I was broken. I was broken. I was saturated with alcohol. So uh, my sponsor worked with me a year and a half while I was still drinking. And the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. I had the desire, but I just didn't have the surrender. You know, I did. I wasn't willing to give it up. What did that look like working uh, with a sponsor for a year and a half while drinking? Were, were you working steps during that time? Yeah, or? great. Yeah, I was working the steps. Uh, we'd go through them. I'd show up drunk uh, to one of our meetings, you know, that we were getting together. And he's like, well, let's just kind of read through the big book and we'd read it. And then, uh, you know, I'd go home. Mm-hmm. He had a lot of patience with me, a lot of love. That's probably the best way to say it. Mm-hmm. He had a lot of love for me and he knew what I was going through because he had experienced the same thing. It was difficult to, through his story for him to quit drinking as well. So I helped him. I reminded him of his own story. He helped me. He just was patient with me until I was ready to surrender. He just kept staying with me. So that's a long time, 18 months of, yeah. of drinking and yep. being active in yep. the program. So yep. obviously you wanted something. What was it that kept you coming back during that 18 months, even though you didn't have the willingness to stop drinking yet? Yeah, we, you know, we see it in, in our Zoom meetings and we see it in our in-person meetings. They have peace. You know, they had peace. They laughed (laughs) and I love to laugh, but I was not laughing. I was a miserable, miserable person, angry, probably, but just broken. You guys had something that I wanted. I just wouldn't, I wouldn't, wasn't willing to give it up yet. I wasn't willing to give up the alcohol. I wasn't beaten down enough. 
I kept coming back because you guys were laughing and you loved me. And you just, you just said, keep coming back, man. Just keep coming back. And I did. I would think you would get defeated by the fact, because I mean, you're very, it just rolls off the tongue. I wasn't willing. I wasn't willing, but did you feel like you weren't willing at the time or did you feel like this isn't working? No, no. I knew, I knew I wasn't willing to give it up. I wasn't ready to let go. You know, honestly, what it was, it was my marriage. I knew when I quit drinking, my marriage would probably be over because it was my alcohol that was really keeping us together because that was the problem. That was probably the big thing is I just wasn't ready to admit that my marriage was going to be over. And, you know, honestly, when I got sober a couple of years later that we ended up divorcing, I knew that in the back of my head that the marriage was over. I just wasn't really to give up my whole family. But, you know, God, spiritual power gave me all of that back in a hundredfold, hundredfold uh, being in this program, the most satisfactory years of my existence are currently happening. So, yeah. So you told me earlier that you were some substance abuse counselor from huh? the nineties. Yeah, I was, uh, I have a master's degree in family counseling and minor in substance abuse. And so I worked in treatment centers in Arkansas and Alabama. And so I was in it. I wasn't, you know, drinking alcoholically. I'd go out and have a few beers, you know, uh, catch a good buzz on, but I wasn't drinking actively. So I was around the program a great deal. Um, it wasn't until I got married and kids and started having more problems and I needed a solution and alcohol was my solution until it wasn't, you know? So I was in it. I was familiar with it. Yep. But knowledge doesn't work no, without action. No, it really, it, I had the knowledge, but I didn't, you know, I didn't understand the allergy. I didn't understand the disease concept. I didn't understand. What is that? For me, once you cross over, you can't come back. You know, I was hooked no matter how much I wanted to, no matter how much I had the desire, unless I surrendered, I couldn't, you know, I admitted we were powerless over alcohol. I just felt that I could keep doing this. I felt that I could win this battle. I did not understand the disease concept that dude, once you cross that imaginary line, you're not coming back. You know, some people can keep doing it, but they're not, no one who's an alcoholic that can come back from that. You just can't, you know, unless you're dead, I guess. And you felt like you could. For years, for years, I felt like I could absolutely until I couldn't. Did you feel like a fraud? I did. You know, it's interesting because it wasn't until I really read the doctor's opinion when he talked about that, you know, talked about the allergy, talked about the effect, talked about the disease concept. I'm like, it was like this light bulb went in my head. And like, I tried to quit, you know, praying more, you know, working out, you know, trying to be more spiritual, reading my Bible, doing whatever. But when I was hooked, I could not, Scott in all his glory could not stop drinking. And it wasn't until I really read the doctor's opinion that I understood that disease concept, that allergy, whatever you want to call it, um, that you can't, once you're alcohol, you're not going back. So, well, and the thing that I found, I couldn't do it my way. Whatever I did to try to stop or control my drinking, I could not make it work. It was when I finally surrendered and did it someone else's way that it worked. Yeah. In the meetings, you guys, you guys were happy. You guys were able to do that. And I was still doing it my way. I was still doing it Scott's way. I thought, you know, I'm a counselor. You know, I've been doing this thing for, it'll be 30 years going on now, 30 years as a counselor. That's crazy. And I can, I can beat this. I've got the education. I've got the degrees. I've got the license. I've got the work. 
I was still doing it my way, still mm-hmm. doing it my way. And it did not work until I surrendered that idea. Like, like I could do it and I just couldn't. So, yep. So a magic moment hit at that 18 month mark of working with that sponsor. Mm-hmm. What was that? You know, I was in the meetings that it was that one guy. He said, it wasn't that I couldn't surrender, said I wouldn't. It's why I wouldn't surrender. And there was a light bulb that went on a few days prior to that. I woke up two o'clock in the morning. I'm doing shots of crown throwing up, doing more shots of crown, throwing up. I mean, you had to get back what you lost. I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't waste not. I was saturated. When I mean saturated, I was saturated. And then that previous Sunday, my uh, uh, oldest son, he uh, was baptized. 27, 28 years old, he was baptized at the church. I was drunk. I was drunk. I didn't just humiliate myself. I humiliated him. And I humiliated the whole family. And um, that for me was the breaking point. Of course, I still drank that that day, finished it out. And then a couple of those meetings, he said, it's not I couldn't. It's that I wouldn't surrender. That did it for me. And I said, okay. I I called my sponsor. I said, I'm ready. I don't don't care. And then I, you know, I started hammering down. I mean, Joe and Charlie tapes. I was hitting the noon meeting. I was hitting the 6 p.m. meeting. I was going to meetings every single day, twice a day. I mean, I doubled up. I mean, work was not a priority for me anymore. I was hitting the meetings. I was doing the service work. We had uh, big book studies. We also had a group of friends. We'd go hike together. And I just hung around sober people. I did that straight for six months, just kept doubling up. I said, I just have to keep doing this because I'm going to drink again. And I white knuckled it, you know, white knuckled it. It wasn't until... When I was working through step nine, I'm out making those amends. I remember I was in St. Louis. So I'm probably sober now about maybe five, six months. And I made some amends to some family members and apologized and said how wrong I was. It lifted away, man. That desire to drink was gone. It was a miracle. Wow. It, it, guys, it, I remember staring at the arch there in St. Louis on the phone, talking to my stepmother, apologizing. And she said, thank you. And it was gone. The desire to drink. It was a miracle. Since then, I, you know, you still got to work programs, still got to do stuff. But since then, that, you know, craziness, like when you go by the liquor store and you, the, the steering wheel's shaking, you know, it just, it was, it was gone. The desire to drink was gone. That was the miracle by working these steps. That was a miracle for me. And it was working the steps. Isn't there a line in the book, we are building an arch? To walk through. <laughs> what that's, yep. that's sure literal enough. for you. <laughs> it, it, yeah, I never thought that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Was, I was walking, it was, you know, St. Louis, there's the arch, walking through that arch. You know, when I, and here's the deal when I stopped living in the problem, began living in the answer, the problem went away. 417 talks about that. You know, when I stopped living in the problem, I was still trying to white knuckle it, still trying to not do this. But when I started doing the steps, going through that arch, I never look back, man. Wow. You know, for us, that the problem has been removed. Mm -hmm. But before the problem is removed, when I'm thinking about not drinking, Mm -hmm. I'm still thinking about drinking. Correct. The solution is thinking about other people. The solution is service work. The solution is helping somebody else. One of the things I do, and I tell my sponsees, when I'm squirreling up, and this worked when I was going through my divorce, sober, I was real depressed. I would still do the service work. I would start texting my friends. Hey, how you doing? Hope everything's going well. Hey, how you doing? Hope everything's going well. Hey, how you doing? And I'd start getting these text messages back. Thank you so much for reaching out to me. I appreciate it. 
depression was gone. Alcohol was the same way. When I was living in the solution, helping other people, working the steps, the problem was removed. Man, that's thank you for reminding me of that, Sam. Yeah. The the service work, it's because, you know, I thought I was I was in pursuit to be happy. And I mm-hmm. thought uh, drinking made me happy. And once I quit drinking, I was like, okay, I'm going to have to do this AA thing, but I'm never going to be happy again. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the pursuit was after the wrong thing. What I found was now I'm able to be useful. Mm-hmm. Then I, it's rewarding. And that's real happiness. Absolutely. And it wasn't just the happiness as we were looking for peace. Right. I just wanted to stop the squirrels. You know, I wanted to shut down the committee and I well, alcohol did, of course, when we blacked out. But when we can work these steps, when we can serve people, man, that's peace. We will comprehend the word serenity. We will know peace. You know, those are, are two of our ninth step promises. Yeah. Scott, what is something that's happened to you since you've been sober that has uh, changed your life? Don, when you asked that, I got chills because that was one of the things that kept me drinking was I thought there's no effing way I'm going to be happy. Mm-hmm. couple things in, in 19, I lost my sister to alcoholism. She died. It was horrible. I mean, horrible, horrible. Mm-hmm. I stayed sober because of this program. In 19, my wife moved out 20, another sister died of cancer. Finally, divorce was over in May of 20, lost and <laughs> lost my state job. <laughs> in June. It was like, bam, 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 bam. And when I say that 9 p.m. Zoom meeting, fourth dimension saved my life, that meeting saved my life. I I was there every single night doing that service work, you know, chairing the meetings, you know, reading the steps, talking to people. I picked up in that meeting seven sponsees from around the country. And every single night I was in a Zoom meeting and working with sponsees. And probably one of the coolest things that has ever happened to me was this past January, I had a chance to go to <laughs> Antarctica. It had been a dream of mine to be on all seven continents. So we worked it out where I was on my WhatsApp video. My sponsee was on Zoom. So he took his phone, showed it on his camera. So now I'm in a Zoom meeting from Antarctica that was being held all over the world. It was the first time ever that I think our Zoom meeting had somebody from all seven continents. <laughs> it was on. I mean, it was crazy. It was just nice. we people from Australia have been there, people from uh, Asia. We've had people from Egypt, from Africa have been there, from Europe. And I'm like sitting in Antarctica and this Zoom meeting, it yeah. was I mean, spectacular. I love telling that story only because AA made that possible. I did not make that possible. This program that I do not understand, this God that I do not understand, I'm on a Zoom meeting while in Antarctica. That's stupid. I would have never imagined that. (laughs) That's a fantastic experience. Yeah. It's time for Ask the Old Timer. Got a question for an old timer? Call in and record it at 212-870-3418 or email it to podcast at aagrapevine.org. You can find these and more at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. And now let's ask the old timer. So it's time for us to listen to our question from Corinne who called in. We've been trying to reach you concerning your car's extended warranty. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. <laughs> Sorry. Oops. I don't know how that got in there. Here's the real call. Hello, my name is Corinne, and I am from Madison, Mississippi. 
I am new in sobriety and have been digesting all the material and going to meetings and for the first time feel joy in my life. And my question is, how soon are we able to share the message with other alcoholics? Is there some sort of prerequisite or guideline that tells us that we are in a position to share our story and strength and hope? What is typically recommended for this? Thank you so much. And I really, really enjoy the podcast. I have literally been binging it since I first got into recovery. Thanks and God bless. Yeah. Wow. Great question, Corinne. My first thought was our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics achieve sobriety. And I think as soon as we've got some sobriety, I can tell somebody who's still drinking, hey, look, I found the way. Somebody who has a week can tell somebody who has five days. Somebody who has a month can tell somebody who's had two weeks. I have, I have found the way out of this. You know, so I think as soon as possible, just start inviting people to meetings. You know, I mean, we kind of get on this, but I was on this crusade and I was going to go save the world from alcohol. And, but, you know, my sponsor's like, hey, maybe bring it down just a little bit, invite people, you know, that, you know, are still drinking to the meetings. You don't have to be on a crusade. And so um, I think as soon as possible, you know, that's how we stay sober is by helping other people. So Corinne, if you want to stay sober, go find other drunks, go find people that are drinking, say, look, let me invite you to a meeting. They have told me how to have yeah. peace. They've taught me a way how to stay sober. So I think immediately you can start helping people, serving them by, by that. Yep. I agree. When I first got sober, the people in there, in fact, my sponsor had seven years sobriety. And there was a guy that was coming to the meetings that had 30 days. And that's the guy I listened to. It seems realistic. It seems attainable. Seven years just didn't seem like, well, you know, he doesn't even remember. Now, it's not true. He did remember what it was like to drink and he remembered what it was like to surrender. But that guy 30 days just spoke to me. Wow. So I think that it is important in meetings to share where I'm at mm -hmm. and what I'm doing to stay sober. Mm -hmm. Also jump in and volunteer to read the tools and to chair the meeting and to do what were to help set up the meeting, tear down the meeting, all of that is from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Now you might not be able to sponsor at the very beginning, but you know, somebody came up to me at a beginner's meeting and asked me to sponsor them. And I had 60 days at that point. And I said, oh, I know I can't do that. I got to talk to my sponsor. And when I talked to him, he said, you know how to stay sober one day at a time, don't you? It'll keep you ahead of them if you sponsor someone so that this will make sure that you go ahead and complete the steps because you can't be talking about steps you haven't done. Mm -hmm. So he said, yes, go ahead. And, you know, people are different. And I like the idea of checking with the sponsor, but yes. Yeah. Well, and I love the, the idea that if you've worked a step, you can help someone work it. Mm -hmm. The home group I was in was very active in treatment centers. There would be someone in the home group with some time and someone who was new, who had 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, something like that. And they would go together to the treatment center because just like you said, Don, that, that 30 days is relatable. That's yeah. something like, okay, that I can probably 10 years. No way. There's no way you haven't drunk in 10 years. <laughs> <laughs>
What about somebody new who is sharing all the time and is sharing as the joke goes, they're sharing the mess and not the message. Thank you for reminding me of how immature I was or, you know, what it's like to have 30 days, what it's like to have six months when I think I know everything. Thanks for reminding me about that. They're, they're helping me too. As long as I'm open to whatever anybody has to share, even if it's from the big book or from 12 and 12 or from outer space, it doesn't matter. This is, they, they got something to share. I'm going to listen to it and I'm going to try to apply it to my life. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think maybe at the beginning, I don't need to share again and again and again, <laughs> but just a paragraph about what's going on with me is always appropriate. I encourage people who are early in recovery to share in meetings too, simply because it also makes you a part of. Yes. Um, if I participate in the meeting, even if it's just to say, my sponsor told me I have to share in meetings and that's all I've got to say. Uh, you, know, you spoke up and it makes you approachable. It makes you a part of the group. Definitely. Well, thanks for calling in, Corinne. Corinne, thank you so much for calling. We really appreciate it. And Scott, thanks for joining us today. It's a pleasure getting to know you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for letting me share part of my story, which reminds me of where I was and what my higher power has given me such a wonderful life, more than I could ever dream or imagine. Beautiful friends, beautiful people, beautiful life. So thank you very much for having me, guys. Standing in front of a big puddle outside the pub was an old Irishman, drenched, holding a stick with a piece of string dangling in the water. I stopped and asked, what are you doing? Fishing. Feeling sorry for the old man, I said, come in out of the rain and have a drink with me. Being a bit of a smart aleck, as we sipped our whiskeys in the warmth of the pub, I could not resist asking, so how many have you caught today? You're me eighth. <laughs> it's really not that funny. Thanks for joining us. The AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour is posted every Monday and is produced by AA Grapevine, Inc. We don't speak for AA as a whole. We share the experience, strength, and hope of members to help others recover from alcoholism. Podcast info, including how to call in, is at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. Find AA Grapevine on Instagram and the AA Grapevine channel on YouTube. All things Grapevine are available at aagrapevine.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org.